Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Scummy Mummies Podcast. Hello, I'm Minnie Gibson. And I'm Helen Thorne. Welcome to the Scummy Mummies podcast. Now, who have we got with us today? It's... Sophie Ellis Baxter! Hey! Oh! <laughs> it's that one! I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed you managed to muster even that level of enthusiasm. Ooh! <laughs> introducing myself, yeah. Bearing in mind that you had a baby seven weeks ago, yeah, Sophie. Yeah, and he's here, so if you hear any hiccups or snuffling or snorting or maybe crying, it's Mickey. Oh, well, it's usually okay. Helen, so that's yeah. fine. <laughs> I'm very emotional. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm perimenopausal. Yeah. Um, yeah, hi, Sophie. Hi, Mickey. Welcome to the podcast. And Thanks. For having us in your house, oh, I was just about to say in your beautiful home. Uh, we won't give out the address, um, but it's <laughs> it's very nice. That's all I'm going to say. Thank and you. in London area, um, <laughs> so that's it. But we're thrilled you're on the podcast now. Um, should you introduce yourself? Would you like to introduce yourself? Who are you, Sophie Ellis Baxter? Oh, you're asking a sleep deprived person right. to introduce themselves. Would you like us to describe <laughs> Please, you? Please, yes. Okay, so Sophie's sung some songs. She's written songs. Uh, she's a mother of five. Uh, and pretty much a legend, I would say, Ellie. Is that what you would have said, Sophie? Yeah. Yeah. She's a bloody legend. Um, yes, and we probably know, Sophie, you've been around for quite a while on our, like, TVs, our radios. When mm-hmm. did we first see you? On, on Blue Peter, is that right? Well, yeah, if you were paying attention, yeah, I had two brief uh, outings on Blue Peter when my mum was presenting the show, so in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So your mum is uh, Janet Ellis, yeah, is that right? Yeah, exactly, yes. Um... Uh, but yeah, my first bit of music was when I was a teenager. So I was in a band called The Audience. who was signed to Mercury. They were kind of like an indie band, really. Oh, I'm familiar. So last night I was talking to my friend Keith, and uh, I said, "Oh, we're, we're going to see Sophie Ellis Baxter tomorrow." And he was like, "Oh, I should have given you my audience CDs to autograph." Whoa. And well I was done, like, Keith. "Oh, I didn't know you're a big fan." He's like, "Oh yeah, I'm a big fan." And then he started going on, and he was like, "Oh, and she did this amazing cover version of um, a song from Greece." There were worse things I could do. The worst thing I could do. And he talked about that for about five minutes. <laughs> And I was like, Keith, I'm not being funny, you're getting weird, you're getting weird. I'm not telling you where she lives. I'm impressed with Keith, actually. No, he said to say hello, he's he's a big fan. Oh, Uh, say hello back. Yeah, I'll give him your number. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you started off in the audience, and then you, when did you go solo? Um, Sort of by default, really. The band actually split up by the time I was 20. And then um, I did a song called Groove Jet with a, a DJ called Spiller in 2000, and that was kind of... It kind of forced me into a solo career, really, in that I wasn't in a band anymore. Mm. So I would never really saw myself as being a solo artist. Is what happened after that. Really. And that song was huge, wasn't it? Did you think when you like, did you record it and think, say to each other, Nailed "This it. is a hit. This is <laughs> absolutely not. mega." Definitely not. My radar for that is rubbish. Like really, really bad. So I knew that I liked it, and I, I knew that. Um, 
I think from my point of view, I'd, I'd finished with this band, and I said it was an, an indie band, and we, I just needed something that was a, a breath of fresh air, really. So for me, doing a dance record was just something to sort of challenge me and do something completely different. Mm. And so I didn't know anything about the dance world at all, and no, I had no idea it was going to do that well. I, it's still pretty astonishing to me, really. It's going to be, yeah, 19 this year, and I'm still singing it, and if it's a sunny day, sometimes someone plays it on the radio, and it's, mm. like, it's lovely, but no, I... How many times do you think you've sung it in your whole life? Oh, I'd, I'd actually really like to know. I'd be very curious to know. Um, well, let me. I could probably work it out for what's that gigs, number of gigs, and then I sort of added in a few sound checks per year and then multiplied by 19. It's got to be up there, getting sort of thousands, I'd reckon. Yeah. Um, to be honest, do you ever feel like you hit, you're like, oh, I, I really don't want to go out there? Because we, we, we do songs in our comedy show. Mm-hmm. We're the same as you, that's what I'm saying. We're exactly <laughs> as hugely successful international pop stars. Um, but there's, like, like I'm thinking of a song. Uh, yeah. you, know, you know which one I am. Uh, and, and Kill me now. love it, but, like, but sometimes we're like, ah, oh, like... Like, when we, when we sound check, we can't even sing in a sound check now. We're just sound checks like, oh. are the worst ones, though, for that, actually, I think, because there's no-one even responding to you. At least, like, it, like, Murder on the Dance Floor, I love doing in front of a crowd. I, every time, I'm very happy. But doing a sound check, I'm like, oh, this is really annoying. Because I know how it goes. Yeah. I don't need to sing. And there's no one giving me any feedback. So it's just a song I've sung billions of times without, like, much sort of, like, to feed off, really. Mm. Um, but I have got a song that I did um, on my second album called Won't Change. It was a single. And during my tour, I did a bit where um, people could request songs. And if someone requested that, I would force myself just to speak the lyrics rather than sing it. Because the lyrics are so bad. It was like a sort of punishment. Um <laughs> Is it is it one particular line that, that yeah. you that you just I'm very happy to yeah to sort of, uh, whip myself with it. So it goes uh, <laughs> I used to change my hair like I changed my mind. I tried to change attire, but I'm not that way inclined. That's not even the worst. Line. Look out, Shakespeare. That's wonderful. <laughs> um, I used to change my accent, my diet too. I'll still change my underwear if that's okay with you. Wow. <laughs> that's spectacular, right? That is You should rap Were you high? <laughs> when... I think I was just distracted. It's around the time I just started going with Richard. And I think I just wasn't really that bothered about the kind of music I was making. Yeah. I just wanted to be with my new boyfriend. And yeah, didn't want to be making music at that time, probably. Does it rhyme? That'll do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Because yeah. there's Can stuff that we do. Yet? Oh, sorry. There's stuff... <laughs> no, there's... Are you alright? you burping? I don't know. No, oh, I don't. I'm just going embarrass us. It's Ellis Baxter's house. I know. <laughs> I mean, it's all natural. It's, it's <laughs> God's work, Ellie. Um, huh? um, yeah, there are there are jokes and songs that we we write going, oh, I guess this will do. And then they'll absolutely yeah. land with the audience. And we, yeah, you yeah. just never know, do you? What what the... Uh... And then there are jokes that we think are absolutely hilarious. Amazing. Like, like nobody. No, no, nothing. Well, in return to you saying you do songs, I basically sometimes during my gigs I end up doing what is like very bad stand-up comedy because <laughs> I get this sort of like, I think it's like my dad's gene where I suddenly feel compelled to make jokes but they're really bad jokes and quite often my band are looking at me like can we start the next song now just to stop this <laughs> boom. yeah but I've done ones where in my head this is like this is going to be amazing and then it's just awkward it's horrible and I'm not even a comedian so it's not even like I've got something else to back it up or another bit of material that was kind of it oh. but you ride that way being on stage you, you're high as well you're like oh, I've got something else for you I know, I know. suddenly <laughs> just your voice echoing around the room and I'm just yeah. silent it's painful um, the worst one I did of that was when I <laughs> still makes me cringe I started I did a tour with Take That I was supporting Take That so we did. we were doing 34 dates with them and 
night two, I think, I came out on stage and bearing in mind that supporting Take That means coming out into an arena full of, let's say, 8,000 women basically waiting for four men and they get you for half an hour. So I had to come out and go, hey. And the microphone had been set at a really low level. And so well, I went up to Mark, it. bless him. <laughs> well, thank you. You see, you obviously have a very similar mind to me because I got to the microphone, adjusted it, and went, I was going to say, and they went, no, I'll tell you, to like this arena. I was like, I was going to say maybe it had been set for Mark. And they all booed me. No! No! And then I ruined your punchline. No, but oh, I'm no. actually really glad oh, you no. said it because it means it's not just me. No, no. no. I thought it was funny enough to say on the internet, well, which is even more people you, than an arena. If you quantum leaped at that point, oh, yeah, it was, it was horrible. I mean, oh, literally no. getting booed. Oh, oh no. And then I was like, and no, now- no, my stepdad's quite short. I'm, I've got... I've got <laughs> Like, some, well, of my, makes it better. some of my best friends are short. Exactly. <laughs> oh, it, was, it was awful. Oh. It was probably awful. Yeah. Oh, no. And, yeah. and then you had to go and sing... I thought maybe I would get fired from that. That was like day two, and I thought, we're not going to see the other 30 today. They're just going to say, thank you so much. We found someone else to support us. <laughs> did, Mark, did Mark Owen hear about it? I don't know, but he's such a nice guy. He's probably way too polite to ever have said to me if he did. It's okay, Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> That's that. Now that... <laughs> He's never coming on if this podcast. If you're listening, now. I'm not laughing at that. No, <laughs> she, looks, she looks angry. <laughs> she looks angry. Oh. So yeah. So what's it like being like a famous mum? Have you found that challenging? I think um, I don't know about famous mum, but I think being a singer that's mum is probably easier than people who have uh, like nine to five jobs because at least I can sort of shape what I'm doing a little bit around the kids and take them with me. So um, Mickey has already been to work with me for a few days and. You know, you can't do that if you have a proper job. So no. I think it's easier in that regard. Um, Can you sing and feed a baby at the same time? I have done. In fact, I recorded a song once. Um, I My uh, sixth album, Familiar, I recorded that when Jesse, my fourth, was about 12, 13 weeks. And so he was in the studio with me the whole time. And yeah, I had to do some recordings where he was literally feeding in the booth. I don't know. If that in the booth, on the, the booth. Yeah, yeah, because otherwise it's just not going to get done. No, so. and it's the best way to keep them quiet. I, yeah, I've found, exactly. just shove a boob in their face and they, they everyone's happy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Works exactly. for grown-ups as well. Oh, sometimes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not allowed to mention my husband on the podcast anymore, but let's just leave it at that. I say it's fine. <laughs> My husband loves a tit in his face. There we are. Perhaps that'll balance it out a bit. Perhaps a bit better. Just say it another 25 times and we'll get halfway there. <laughs> now, yeah. you mentioned your fourth child. Have we actually mentioned... We have mentioned you're a mother of five. And you've five boys, in fact. I know. That's quite funny, isn't it? You make... You make... You make... <laughs> cock. I'm getting quite good. Well, I feel like maybe it was like a sort of um, biblical challenge, you know, like mm. you have to just get one right and until you've got one right, I will give you another and another and another. Mm. So, yeah, I feel like it's like I just have to get, just raise one of them to adulthood successfully. Yes. I've made it, yes. Yes, the world needs really good men and you're obviously raising them <laughs> with strict feminist principles and all that she is. Yeah, of course. I mean... She I might, you say, obviously, she might not be. She might be a massive misogynist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you never know. I in fact if anything they're probably a bit too used to me being kind of quite um I think especially when you have your first baby you, you realize how much is put upon them because of the gender that they are and so I've sort of gone completely the other way with wanting to feel like every option is an option but I think they probably get a bit bored of me kind of chatting that way sometimes it's like oh she's yes we hate the patriarchy mum yes chat about that my husband once said to me he said oh look can you just stop going on about the patriarchy can you just have a day off and I went 
Do you think the patriarchy is having a day off? No, you go to that meeting of the patriarchy and you tell them I will not stop as long as you keep having these meetings. And then I realised maybe I had gone a bit far. So. Yeah, so how, how old is your... Oh, is 15? Yeah, nearly 15, yeah, yeah. So what, what have you learned over 15 years of raising boys? Or do you think it's so different to girls, really? I mean, it's, it's difficult. Uh, I mean, I don't have much... Well, actually, no, I do have things to compare it to. I'm the eldest in my family and I've got three little sisters. And um, I felt very overwhelmingly when I had Sonny, my eldest that I had met, I had had a baby who just happened to, you know, so I had that person who just happened to be a baby when I met him. And I think that there's so much about who they all are that's just them and nothing to do with whether they're a boy or a girl. So I don't think it is that different, but then, I don't know, people sometimes tell me it's different. But mm. to my where, my standpoint, where people say, oh, you're outnumbered, I'm like, well, I'd always be the only mum, even if I had all daughters. I don't, I don't see a massive difference, but I don't know. Maybe I'd have girls and be like, wow, this is... So amazingly different. Would I? Yeah. I don't know. Do you both have daughters? I have two. I have two boys. Yeah, I've got a, a daughter and a son. And yeah, I mean, they're all going to be different. Like you know, I had a very sort of serious, studious girl first, and then Hugo came along and basically tried to break the doors off all the things and rip all the puzzles and rip all the flappy books and things like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, a girl could have done that, or you know, mm. I, I don't think it. They're just going to be them themselves but yeah obviously like I've just spent the weekend at a ballet concert doing my daughter's hair and makeup and then Hugo has spent the uh, weekend reading about war so I mean (laughs) so but maybe they yeah who knows why you know they've chosen those sort of things but um yeah I kind of I'm very aware with Matilda turning 10 you know she's very interested in periods and her body changing and all that sort of stuff so there's going to be those kind of differences obviously. yes I've heard yeah that that obviously is like I think the transition into the young adult is a lot more obvious and cringy when you're a girl isn't it because you've got these really awkward markers whereas for a boy it can happen at different times and it's a bit more subtle and you know feel less vulnerable I guess mm. um but I, I was just saying, but I still have to tell them all about those things as well. I want yeah. them to understand what is, would be happening if they were a girl. And I'm like their sole representation of living with a, a woman. So I have to, I'm not kind of one of those people that will hide things away. I want them to, I want them to be really relaxed about it all, actually. Mm. I want to raise men that if they do choose to, you know, go out with girls and live with women, I want them to be really comfortable with what that means. So, yeah, that's all my job, isn't it? I mean, how, how's it split between you and your partner? Does Ooh. he do the sort of the, the sexy chat? The cock? <laughs> no, I think I've done a lot of that myself, which is really pretty embarrassing. Probably. I think I did a lot of it too early as well. Not, not age-inappropriate early, but I just think I introduced things that maybe weren't quite where they were at. I remember with Sonny, because um, it's always the firstborn, isn't it, that you make so many silly mistakes with, but he was about three, I think, and he started asking where babies come from, so I bought this book... Uh, a picture book called something like Where Willie Went about a sperm that races to get to the egg. Um, and it's, you know, sort of all little cartoony drawings for kids and there's a bit where there's the sperm and they're all hanging out um, and they've got, like, a cafe, they can go to a cinema and all this kind of thing before they do the big swim race. And <laughs> I thought I thought it kind of gone quite well and then we were in the park and Sonny said really loudly to me something like, well, there'll be a fairground in my bum for all the sperm when I'm big. <laughs> Uh, that's not really what how I intended it. And then he said, "Do you think there's a baby in your tummy?" I was like, "No, I don't think so. You don't know. It might be some of daddy's sperm in there." Like, <laughs> it's all like in the park. I was like, "I don't oh, think that God. was quite the conversation I thought we could be having after the book." But then again, maybe it's exactly what I deserved. It's very no, very relaxed. We all have to be very <laughs> comfortable with this. I, yes. I'm much better now. I used to go very high pitch whenever they asked me about sex and. 
you know, testicles and things like that. But now I go, thank you for asking me that question. Yeah. Yes. yes. No. Now ask your father. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yes, it was for about 10 minutes and Daddy and I were both in our 30s. Yes. 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 <laughs> well, actually, when I said to Kit, who was nine at the time, that we were having this baby... Um, and I said, Kit, we're having a baby. He said, so what, did you have SEX last night then? The <laughs> 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 sort of knowing look at face. Wink. Like, yeah, exactly. And I was yeah. like, actually, Kit, it was about 12 weeks ago. And he went, what? why didn't you tell me? Because <laughs> I, I think if I told you that kind of thing, your child would be marked with trauma. <laughs> don't want to grow up in a house, right? Hey, kids, yeah. your dad and I got lucky last yeah. night. Yeah, we'll just mark it on the, car- on exactly. the calendar with a love heart. I mean, I think it was your dad. It was 12 weeks. I can't really remember <laughs> Who knows, really? We'll never really know. Now, you mentioned Kit there, mm-hmm. so so we're sort of... Should we do the serious bit? Yes, OK, we'll come on. Serious chat. Go, go Radio 4, Ellie. Um, now, Kit, my right thinking, was was of your five. He was the one that was born premature? Actually, the one? first two were. Oh, yeah. the first oh, two? Yeah. Right. So suddenly the six-foot chap that you met when you came in. The strapping uh, ginger yeah. lad. Yeah, he was born eight weeks early, and then Kit uh, was born nine weeks early. Um, and Sonny was born quite sort of healthy size. He was sort of three pounds eight, which... Is it you that said premature baby? Yeah, my son Joe was nine weeks early and he was okay. four pounds, which again they oh, said God, to me is quite a good size for that. Yeah. So you'd know that, but then I, when I had Kit at 31 weeks, he was two pounds six. He was mm. really tiny. Um, mm. And again, you wouldn't pick him out as a, in a lineup as being a premature baby now, now that he's 10, but uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was quite scary. Yeah. So what was what was your what was your story with with Sunny to start with? I guess um, did you did you know you were at risk of, of premature birth? No, not at all. Um, no, I was twenty four when I was pregnant with Sunny, and I thought I was sort of getting on with it, but I wasn't really thriving. I didn't really enjoy being pregnant like I thought I would, and I was finding it quite tricky and just feeling a bit antisocial and a bit towards the end a bit headachey and just not just not really enjoying being pregnant and not blooming and everybody kept telling me oh no you look great and I just sort of knew I didn't mm. um and then yeah about 30 31 weeks I got diagnosed with preeclampsia which kind of explained the not feeling great and being really puffy and the headaches and all this kind of thing and then the way to make me better was to deliver him early so the same week that I was diagnosed like later that week is when they delivered him so it was a bit of a shock mm. and Richard and I we'd only been going out six weeks when we found out we were having a baby and then um, that's very quick to plan a pregnancy isn't mm, it yeah I know I love when people say was it planned like <laughs> you must think I'm very intense girlfriends um, <laughs> but um, he'd only moved in like two weeks yeah. before Sunny was born yeah. and, um, you're not like the Craig David of pregnancy no <laughs> he's looking for a drink on Monday, Monday. <laughs> got knocked up on Friday <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, that was me, but well, yeah. unfortunately. Um, yeah, so uh, it was definitely a shock to the system. And then when I, because I had preeclampsia um, relatively young, they said, oh, the chances of you getting it again are very slim. So when it happened again with Kit, I was really surprised. Also, I felt much better in that pregnancy. I thought I, thought I was doing quite well there. Mm. But then I've now had three full-term babies, so I can do it. Mm. <laughs> so with the birth itself, because with my, so Joe, um, they don't, I didn't have preeclampsia. I, I, what they think maybe happened is I had the norovirus. Oh wow! Uh, you and I, we did a podcast on the Friday. Yeah. And then I woke up very sick Saturday morning, and then probably stupidly we went and did that gig. Blimey! Well, I mean, in retrospect, I probably wouldn't do it again. But you know, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's mad. I'd yeah. had a baby before, and that pregnancy yeah. was fine. And you know, we didn't have any money then. We were just starting out, and yeah. it was, you know, we, you know, it was a thing. And I really wanted to do it, and. And I and I you know I felt all right. I didn't yeah. feel. I certainly didn't have any labour pains. And I just uh-huh. stupid. Now I wouldn't do it, knowing what I know now, obviously. But I just sort of stupidly thought, oh, it will just, it will just be all right. 
Um, and, and obviously it, it wasn't. Also, you um, might have just thought the worst outcome would be you're just not very well for a bit longer rather than actually giving birth. Exactly. Which, and that I night I felt I fine. Either, so. I think mm. I had a curry. I went to bed. It was not It was not a thing. So, And I don't know that it was the doing the gig that mm-hmm. pushed him out. They think it was more that it was the virus itself that he was like. So you went into labour the next day? So the next day I went into labour and I rang my uh, friend Jessie, who's a, a nurse and a health visitor, and she told me later she could hear in my voice that I got into labour but she didn't want to tell me that so she just went oh, just wow. just go to hospital and I was like well should I should I call what did she mean she could hear in your voice she'd gone into labour she, she's known me all my life and she just said she and she's you know she's done a lot of births yeah. and stuff and she could just hear by wow. the sound of how you whisper yeah that's so, extraordinary isn't that yeah so she was like no Call the midwife on the way. Yeah. Um, but it's Pete, they take you to hospital. Like, yeah. She's like, go to, just go, go to the hospital mm. now. So it all happened in a few hours. Mm. And the problem was, well, there were many problems <laughs> with that as an experience. But I don't know if you had this. One of the things for me was I didn't know a lot about prematurity. And um, so the birth itself was not that traumatic. I sort of thought, oh, well, I'm in a hospital mm-hmm. and I've got, you know, it's, it's King's, one of the best premature baby hospitals in the world. And they're going to take him out. And I heard him cry when they took him out. Mm-hmm. And they had to wean him away, but they told me that. So yeah. that was all right. And I was off my tits on morphine. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I've had a baby. And yeah. that's all right. And they'll look after him. And then in a week or two, they'll just send us home. And I'll just feed him and feed him and it'll be fine. Mm. And as you know, yeah, that's yeah. not how that works. No, and you don't really have time to process it at the time because you're already sick by the time you're being told all this is going to happen. So... And there's actually, in most of the pregnancy books, the chapter on what happens if it doesn't go to the, you know, each week developing as it should. It's pretty slim normally, actually, and it's normally a bit of a kind of, if you have one of these, this will happen and that'll be that. So I found, I felt like I didn't really know very much about how it worked having a premature baby either. And I had had a little bit more experience than you. My sister was born 10 weeks early when I was 11. So I had vague snapshot memories of going to visit her in hospital. I knew she would stay in, my babies would probably stay in for a little while. But I also knew that Martha is now a very, you know, she's now like in her 20s. But at that time, I, you know, she was already in her late teens. And I was like, she's a successful young adult now. And so the end of this road will be OK. But there's still a lot of stuff I wish that I'd been told a bit more properly at the time, actually. Uh, and some of it as well about how it affects babies and children growing forward as well. And like some of the ways it can ch- change their, their processing issues and things like that. Not not in a way that should mark them out, not labelling, but more just in terms of just preparing for that. So you think if they're struggling to tie their shoelaces, do a maths problem, um, get their reading and writing up to speed, it will all come. It might just need a slightly different way of learning. And I didn't I didn't link that those two at all. It's mm. sort of taken me doing it sort of when they're a lot older, really. Has that been the case with both your sons then? They're just learning things in different ways? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're both bright kids, says their mother, but no, they, <laughs> they are bright kids. But um, uh, Sonny had problems with maths, um, something called dyscalculia. It's like dyslexia, but with numbers, um, which is most likely something to do with how the brain develops when they're born early. And with kids, it's more sort of traditional like dyslexia thing which is luckily a lot more support for that actually mm. um and look, i don't know maybe that's just them but i i think there is most people have told me there's probably a link so i just think it would have taken the pressure out of me trying to push him through over, you know over hurdles he wasn't ready to cross really yeah mm. and how long so with um with sunny how long was he in the hospital for how long did you um he, he was, was, was relatively big wasn't he so yeah yeah um there's like a few markers they're waiting for one of them is weight their weight being a certain level um, 
and then it's like I think feeding them, being able to feed them by themselves, regulate their oxygen and regulate their temperature. I think those are the four markers. Once they've hit all those targets, they can go home. So he was nearly five weeks, and Kit actually was only nearly six. And when Kit was discharged, he weighed three pounds ten. Oh, I was sent home with the baby. It was really scary, mm. and I was quite intimidated by it, actually because I didn't really feel like I wanted to be responsible for something that vulnerable. Really, he looked so tiny, and people sort of look in the buggy to see him be a bit, you know, taken aback at how small this baby is. Mm. So I found all that a bit unnerving. Yeah, and especially with Kit, you had Sonny, who was what, was he, he was five, five. By then, yeah, yeah. So did you have extra sort of support at that at that time? I think actually it was probably that thing of thinking I've already got one, I can do this, it's fine I've been through this before, I think we were rich and I were a bit, bit matter of fact in a way and uh, I think it was only really uh, when Kit was a bit older that we could admit to each other that we were actually really quite scared but at the time I think we just got on with it Yeah. and I think as well we felt like we'd sort of got away with it with Sunny and maybe weren't going to be as lucky with Kit and he was a lot more sick when he was first born um, so I think there was lots of stuff like that that we just kind of felt we had to just yeah get on with it but really it was actually quite quite tough yeah you do go into that weird um not survival but protective kind of mode and that all those weird hormones that are pumping through you and also you just haven't basically slept for such a long time you're slightly you're slightly mad definitely oh i I can't look back and i yeah when they used to say sleep in the baby sleeps i was like oh no no fine i'll just do a couple of loads of washing and and make some mints i'll be fine i'll be fine i'll just make some more mints and i don't i don't know if you found this but i also found that like like you're saying like getting through that it just feels like survival right when they're Mm. in the hospital it's just like day to day and all that kind of you're focused on is them getting out alive basically because um, they told me again like the first few days I didn't really get it mm-hmm. and I was like oh well okay he's going to have to stay in hospital longer but then he'll be fine mm-hmm. because like that's we're in hospital Yeah. and then on like day three or four I, I realised that nobody I just wanted someone to say oh he's going to be alright he's going to be alright mm-hmm. and nobody had said that so I ended up saying to a nurse um, is he going to be alright and she just said well it could go either way and that was the moment at which I really finally got it. Like, yeah. oh my god, my baby might die. Yeah. Even surrounded by all these wonderful bits of equipment and people and all of this. And then, so then that became the focus. And then when we got out of hospital six weeks later, um, it, it, I, I then had a sort of. A, it, that was supposed to be the happy ending. That was supposed to be yeah, the end of the film. Yeah. Like, we've made it and we've survived. Yeah. And now it's all going to be fine. But then, of course, you've got your knackered and you've mm. got this baby. And I found that quite... Did you find that difficult? Yeah, as well, because also you've had that safety net of all those people, doctors and nurses, that you can always ask and, you know, and there's a form to it, because even though you're the parent and, you know, you've got your instincts, you know, you still say, is it okay if I get them out of the incubator? Is it okay if I do this? And you have to keep washing your hands and all all those things that you wouldn't yeah. be it's doing It's like when you hear people come way, out of yeah. prison and they have to, they think they have to ask to go to the toilet. Exactly. <laughs> you are, like, institutionalised. Yeah, yeah, you are, yeah, yeah you really are. Um, so when you come home, there's this real feeling of, like, okay, there's no safety net now, and all those things that were monitoring all these vitals on this baby is now my job. And also there's a weird limbo of you've had your baby and people don't know whether to congratulate you or not. Mm. Um, so when you bring them home, there isn't that like, da-da, we've just had a baby. So you sort of missed a bit of grammar. You know, it's mm. like punctuation that's just gone. Where you and said, for us it was our second baby as well. Yeah. So we were like, is it just that they don't give a shit because it's the second baby yeah. and that's the way it goes? <laughs> or is it a weird... Yeah, yeah it's odd. It's it you're fucking British... I can say that. As an what do you mean? Because people get uncomfortable yeah. with uncomfortable things. Right. They don't know how to cope with. It's been a bit scary, yeah. and I can see you're a bit sad. I don't know. 
do I hug you? Do I, what do yes, I, yeah. and they, they don't, yeah, because they don't want to offend you. So they say nothing yeah, or yeah. do nothing. And yeah. that's the, and that's the worst. Yeah. Because that's, you're right. And I yeah. think that was especially true after, you know, because once we were out of hospital, everyone wants you to just, and expects you to be just totally great. Everyone's like, oh, well, there we are. Everything's yeah, great yeah. now. Everything's great. And actually I wasn't. I was yeah. like, I feel like I've just been through a car crash. Mm-hmm. And although I'm not in the actual car anymore, like I feel like I'm still recovering yeah, yeah. from that. And I you haven't are, been sure, able to do the work of recovering for that because I've been focused on this baby exactly. and this hospital thing. Yeah. Mm. And I think, you know, you you don't want people to label your baby. So you're very quick to be like, no, take that away. That was what happened then. And now we're at home and their life can begin. But at the same time, you kind of want to go, but they have been through this thing. And there is there is actually another layer to this. But you kind of, I don't know about you, I kept switching from one to the other, like, wanting the nurture and then actually wanting to be treated the same as every other new mum. So, um, yeah, it's definitely not ideal. And also when they're in the hospital, they, although they're a baby, they're treated really like a patient. So you're not supposed to, you know, you you don't look at the other babies in incubators. They don't, like a lot of the other parents, if you see them and people don't really talk, don't really make eye contact. So it can feel quite isolating in that way as well. Mm. I thought I'd really quite like to just have a place where we can just chat about what we've been through and what we're sharing. But... Yeah, and some of the babies are really sick in there, and yeah, yeah. it's mm. it's not a nice environment. I think that's why I got so obsessed with the feeding and getting the milk going and all that kind of stuff because it was the one job I could do mm. that the hospital couldn't do. And I was like, right, I'm going to just do all that the whole time. I'll just you know bring in my little milk bags and all that. God Almighty, it took over my mind. I was the same. I, yeah. It was like it was like they had to build another wing for all your it milk. Was, it was. It was like in in Stalinist <laughs> Russia when they had the grain drives. It was like. I was like, I'm going to pump the shit out of these tits because that is the one thing <laughs> one I can thing do. That is yeah. a practical thing. I produced so many, because they give you the little bottles yeah. to put the milk in. I produced so many mi- bottles of milk they had to give me my own drawer in the oh. hospital freezer. Just showing off now. And, and they, you know. <laughs> Look, every time I went to visit her, she was just double pumped. I was yeah. like, I don't need to see any more in. She's like, oh, no, yeah. I must, friends, I must. Yeah. Yeah. My friends saw that. And then I, I filled that drawer and they had to give me another drawer. Oh, and that's I was good. Like, that probably yes. went for donor milk as well because sometimes other mums aren't you know, finding it as easy so that's good mm. for the other babies as well um, I do, I, do you know what I offered it when I left hospital I offered it for donation and they said to me do you know what we'd have to screen it and all this and oh really it's, yeah oh. and they said and this nurse said to me she said look take it home put it in a bottle and then you can have a glass of wine while your husband just gives you a break and actually and at mm. the time I was like no but I want to do this altruistic yeah. thing but actually that no, was one of the great. best pieces of advice yeah. I ever had because no, no, a... there were nights where I was like do you know what yeah I want to drink a bottle of Merlot and go to bed at half past eight because yes. this, is, this is hard Yeah, and I was very grateful to that nurse for having yeah, <laughs> there, dear. so how, how are you now do you, do you still think about the birth and the, and the hospital bit or are you um, I mean, you've, you mean? you've done three more since then, <laughs> so probably not. Um, I do actually, though, because also we've had all our children in the same hospital, so whenever you walk in those doors, that the smell of the hospital brings back so many memories. And I think also um, there's something about having babies that makes chronology a little bit loopy. So suddenly you feel that you're bumping into yourself each time you've had, you know, each time you're a new mum, or I don't think, you know, time doesn't go in the same logical step anymore because your brain's a bit loopy like all the hormones so suddenly you know you're very aware of that feeling you had you know six years ago with a different baby so I think having a baby makes you doctor who basically yeah exactly yeah yeah you're sort of time traveling back to all that experience before so your vagina's like a TARDIS much bigger on the inside (laughs) so lovely (laughs) I mean I can't speak for yours I've not seen it 
I'm right. speaking for myself, so that's right. Extra. I wouldn't really <laughs> Billy to Piper lives up there, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Billy. Love your work. Yeah. <laughs> One of the original Blue Peter dogs. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No. God, she was saying something really she deep. She very profound. No, 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 want to go back to the same hospital do yeah. you make that kind of choice to definitely because would want to run away and go I just want a new stuff no no I loved it because I had um, all my babies at Chelsea and Westminster and they've got an amazing neonatal unit there and also I had the same consultants for them as well so I wanted to go back because I felt very safe and they do extra tests and keep an eye on me because obviously I've just had it with Mickey where I got to you know the same week's gestation as when I had the others early so hopefully I won't be going back through the neonatal doors again and I'm staying in the other side of the hospital and it's so nice having a baby that can stay with you from when they're born Mm. what a difference that is I'm quite glad I had it that way around with the premature babies first because when I had my third I was like now I get what it was I wasn't you know I was missing out on so it must have been hard for you with your second because you know what the other story looks like and I didn't really it was really hard because I I was I was in hospital with Joe for the first sort of five or six days um, so you know, so I really miss my older son Charlie, who was at mm. home. Yeah. So I couldn't wait to get home to him, but yeah. then I went home, and then I woke up the next morning, and I had that thing where you don't know where you are. And then the last time I'd slept in that bed, I was pregnant. And, so you and then suddenly I was like, still oh, in hospital at this yeah. Point. So I'm not, I'm not pregnant, and my baby's still in hospital. I, and I had this desperate, immediate urge to get to the hospital yeah, immediately. Yeah, yeah. But then I had this three-year-old going, "Mummy, you're home, you're home." Yeah. And that sort of it, it subsided. I, I learned to manage it, but that was really difficult. Yeah, really I can hard. imagine. Well, I felt like that the second time with Sunny being at home, and and also with when we had Sunny, we used to go and visit twice a day and spend like ages. But when we had our second, I was at home for most of it, and then just pop in maybe like probably mostly once rather than twice and I felt really bad mm. that I couldn't spend more time with my new baby but I felt like I needed to be where Sonny was because he was nearly five and very aware of the fact I wasn't there mm. so then you get that that guilt that accompanies mm. so much of parenthood anyway yeah. I mean that's I'm not it. where I'm supposed to be yeah <laughs> yeah and and now I would say I'm I'm absolutely fine about it about the whole thing 364 days of the year <laughs> and then on Joe's birthday I've I've had to come to accept that I still get I get really upset um, first of all, I drink too much. That probably doesn't help. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's always a good idea. Yeah, it's when you're feeling a bit of emotional or anxiety, yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely drink more. No, but I, you know, because we always have a little party, and mm-hmm. you know, there's there's oh. fizz, and it's lovely. And then I get very, I still get very upset, and I have these weird flashbacks mm-hmm. again, not so much to the birth, but to the the six weeks in hospital and, and all yeah. of that. Like, do you still? Is that going to go away, Sophie Ellis Bexton? <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess you'd have to work out what it is you're upset about. Is it because you would you don't feel like you really had a chance to process at the time how scared you were about it all? I wonder. That's what I, I, I don't know. And someone said to me, well, maybe you should have some counselling about it. And I'm like, well, but I'm all right 364 yeah. days out. I, I don't know if I can be bothered to, you know. No. Just ask a really um, famous woman. Just, I just <laughs> that's what I said. I said, I'm not going to go to the therapist. No, no. I'm going to go around to St. Ellis Bexter's house. <laughs> yes, exactly. The songstress behind Murder on the Dance Floor. Yeah. And say, sort me right know, out when well, I'd be all right. As if she's some sort of clairvoyant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think also it's okay to feel sad about something that was scary. I don't think you necessarily need to fix that, do you? I mean, if, mm-hmm. sometimes it's healthy to acknowledge the things that have been hard. And also you do it from the safe place of knowing that actually it ended up all right and you're at his birthday. Mm. So maybe you're just acknowledging that you were worried that wouldn't be a thing you were going to be celebrating, which mm. is 
which is scary. It's horrible. Yeah, so I think it's sometimes it's okay to feel sad about things if they're a way of keeping you feel sane. The other mm. and 364 days of feeling right is pretty good, isn't it? Well, there we have it, <laughs> listeners. Sophie Ellis Bexter says, I do not have to go to therapy. That's the correct answer. Thank you very much. You've learned one thing today. Yes. <laughs> take, that, yes. take that with you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, I should explain, the, the other reason, apart from me just wanting to unburden myself to you, <laughs> uh, that we're talking about all this, is uh, because you've been doing some work with a charity called The Born uh, Organisation. Yes. How did you get involved with them? It's quite recent that I'm directly involved with them, but I've been aware of them for a little while, and I've actually been sort of knocking at their door saying, is there any way I can help? Because um, the chap who set it up is um, called Mark Johnson, and he was actually my consultant who delivered Mickey here. Oh, right. And yeah. um, Kit, my most premature baby, um... And he's and a professor, also, isn't he? So he's an actual man who he knows is a about... professor now, yes. Ellie, Ellie loves exactly. a very highly... I do like a professor. Yes, yes. Exactly. He's very highly qualified. He's got a very reassuring um, voice. And when things are going a bit wobbly in pregnancy, he's exactly the sort of person you want in your camp saying, listen to me, I've, I've, it's going to be all right. Um, and, yeah, so he's been doing lots of research and set up this charity all to do with premature birth and trying to prevent premature birth because apparently the there actually isn't as much research going into it as, as mm. he feels there should be anyway but also it's I think it's like the number one um, cause of I'm going to blind you with stats please Sophie Ellis Baxter I've got them here <laughs> um, so yes because I think you know you could you might be listening to this and then you're oh we'll just listen to these women just banging on about this problem because it's you know yeah. our experience but actually uh, yes premature birth is the leading cause of death in kids under five in the world and um, 85% of women who have a preterm baby don't even know that they're at risk, mm-hmm. which was certainly, you know, I, I'm in the majority. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, also, if if we could prolong pregnancies by one week, uh, it would save the NHS £260 million a year. Wow. Oh, extraordinary, that one, isn't it? I mean, that's... So it's, it's worth Better than it, Brexit, really. Isn't it? Um, <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, so th- I think this is this is the thing that it seems to me they're saying that there's just not it's 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 overlooked and it's underfunded basically. Yes. Yeah, and I think that there's lots of causes. So it could be something like um, preeclampsia, like I had, but but with you, it was just you don't you still don't really know just mm. went into labour. It could be this, could be that. 
Um, my mum as well, when she had my sister 10 weeks early, her waters just broke at 30 weeks. Don't really know why. Mm. Again, it could have been the fact I went out to work, but again, as, as they said to me in the hospital, there are lots of women around the world who have who go and work in the fields all day and yeah. don't have a premature baby, and they're doing 14 hours a day in difficult conditions, yeah, hoeing exactly. soil. Mm. So, are they wearing a cat suit though? You were wearing a cat I mean, suit. I mean, maybe it's a cat suit. You know, yeah. there are there are <laughs> Thank some, you, Colombo. There are some islands in the South Pacific. We don't know what goes on. <laughs> Still, my, my friend had her baby six weeks early. Uh, in Australia because she went down a bumpy road she went on a very very bumpy road and then the baby uh, decided to exit but again you see how many women have been down a bumpy road pregnant not had a baby I know both literally and (laughs) metaphorically metaphorically oh fuck that up like the idea of metaphorically metaphorically I was really happy I love metaphorically but then when I was pregnant with Mickey I did loads of gigs jumping up and down literally Mm. in platform heels and he stayed in so I don't think you know yeah there's no you know there's obviously certain little nuances that Mm. make some people more predisposed to certain things but yeah, I think what he's doing, all the research, is, is really valuable. Because mm. they are trialling the first new treatment to prevent preterm labour for 50 years. Oh. There's a stat for you, Helen Thorne. You have researched this well, my friend. I've actually copied some things off the email they sent us. I know, it's unbelievable, <laughs> isn't it? I've done Thank so you. much research. Thank you, born dot- UK or dot UK UK dot co yes dot biz um, at Born Charity Born with an E on the end yeah there we go so because they're quite a small charity they're only set yeah. up like five years six years ago I think exactly so, yeah, mm, um, yeah. because this is something that everybody that works with charity is doing just in their their spare time and um, yeah at the moment it's so tiny they don't they just use like a somebody's office it's not kind of like somewhere where it's got massive overheads or anything like that it really is all about putting it all back into the work but yeah Dr Johnson he really is like he's such a like I said he's one of those people where when things are perilous when you're pregnant he's one of those people you sort of cling to like a rock and everything he says you're like if you think it's going to be alright so he's mm. he's definitely the right man for the job I had Dr Bat at King's College Hospital who had a similar sort of calming mm. like he's obviously done this a lot yes it's all going to be alright yes it's so um, important isn't it yes because when I was having Mickey I had this sort of comedy meeting at the hospital where Dr Johnson wasn't there so somebody else stood in for the consultant appointment and uh she was really scary. I mean, she was the opposite. She said to me, uh, so you're going to have your fifth cesarean because I've never had labour. I've had all of my babies have to be planned um, C-section, which isn't ideal, but it just stops me from being in any danger, well, as much danger. And uh, she said, so, you know, with the graphs, fifth C-sections, all everything goes right up on the graph. So risk of hemorrhage, blood loss, damage to organs. I was like, right, OK. And then she went, and um, have you considered in the operation, have you considered being sterilised? <gasps> Ooh. Yeah, that is quite... I, mean, wow. I found it really funny at the time. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's quite a question. No, hmm. no I haven't. Should we just whip out your uterus while we're there? Yeah, yes. like, it's okay. Whoa. thought. But then when I spoke to him, I said, oh, should I be worried about fifth C-section? And he said, no, it should be fine. He's one of the people with his voices. No, it should be absolutely fine. I feel like it would be fine for you to have this operation. Can't see any problems. Oh. Thank you, Dr. I just want his voice on a loop on my phone. <laughs> Everything's going to be fine, Helen. You're going to be fine. Yes. Good. Yes. That would be nice. <laughs> oh, and it is all fine. Look at this guy. Oh, it's just chilling. We've sent him to sleep, look. Oh, I know. Well, not for the first time an audience member has passed out while <laughs> listening to the sound of our voices. he's enjoying it. He likes having the hubble-bubble of conversation. There we are. That's the serious bit done. Thank God for that. Can we, can we, can we ask her about a new album, Melly? Oh, go on then. Yeah, talk about something. Go on, go on. So, Remember so. These babies, let's talk about me. I, yes, I bloody well want to talk about you. Um, I haven't had a premature baby. I'm not in your fucking club. Anyway. <laughs> 
Anyway, um, tell us about your new album. What's that all about? Yeah, so uh, I recorded um, the album last year, uh, and it's called The Song Diaries, and it's orchestral versions of my singles. Um, And it's coming out in March. (gasps) So... uh, We've got a tour as well with, with an orchestra and with the band so we can do live disco, which is really fun. So um, are you pleased with how the album's turned out? Is it, yeah. is it amazing hearing your voice with proper violins and that? I mean, oh, imagine well, that's, what, that's, that's, what it, that's what we need yeah. to do next to our yeah. songs. Yeah, I've really loved it. I mean, it's nice to have a bit of a challenge as well because singing with an orchestra is very different to singing with a band. Um, and singing songs that I've sung billions of times before, but sort of in a different way. So revisiting things like Groove Jet or Murder and thinking, right, how do I want this to sound this time and what new thing can be brought out of it? Um, it's, yeah, it's been a bit of a challenge and I've enjoyed it. And I can't wait to do it all live. That's, the, for me, the real, like, icing on the cake because it's just so decadent having a full orchestra. It's like... It's kind of extraordinary, but lovely. Oh, I think you're right. We're missing a trick, Helen. Really I know. I, I want to like. I've always wanted like a full jazz band behind us. Yes. You know, like like Amy Winehouse had. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. amusing yeah. parodies of Bonnie Tyler songs. <laughs> it's exactly really right. Only can just drown out our singing, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, what a joy! And so, what's next? So, you've got this this year. Have you got other sort of plans for new stuff, or maybe just oh, well, getting some, some sleep? <laughs> <laughs> That'll happen at some point. I heard a report on the radio actually that said that it takes six years for a new parent to get back the sleep. Apparently. Oh my god! Isn't that terrifying? That I means basically I'm, it's never going to happen to well, me. Six. You have five. That's like yeah, thirty. Like, my husband and I just literally like we're never. That's never going to be us, is it? We just couldn't be permanently knackered. What my, yeah. So this year I've got June to November to. And then festivals in the summer. Oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah, it should be cool, actually. And then, I, yeah, I will get started on another album, but I'm not in a massive hurry. Can I just ask one thing? Because I know you toured with Take That, but did you also tour with George Michael? Yeah, I did, yeah. Can you tell us about that? Because, you know, we obviously love him dearly. Yeah, well, he was an incredible performer. I did watch the gigs um, a few... We did eight dates with them, I think, so I watched quite a few of the shows, and his voice just sounded amazing. Um, the only sad thing is I never actually met him. <laughs> Oh, no way. Which is quite frustrating. Um, whenever you're the support, you kind of walk onto someone's tour and you know within about the first two hours if it's what kind of a tour it is, like the atmosphere. Mm. Um, they take that were incredibly friendly and shared lots with us. And with George Michael, everybody was really lovely, but he was very private. So to go into his dressing room, he, they'd sort of built like a, a sort of shaded walkway so that no one could even see by accident into his room as they walked past. It was kind of covered from the outside. Mm. And I, I think he was just quite a private guy. He just mm. didn't really socialise that much outside of that. Um, that's a, that sounds ideal. Put that on the writing. So yes, I think, that's another I think thing we, we need. We, right. we learned so much from George Michael. <laughs> Orchestra and nobody looks us in the eye when we walk into the stage. I, that's think that's, right. I don't think that's unreasonable. To be no. honest. <laughs> Perfectly fine. Oh. oh well, there we go. Now uh, we always end the podcast with scummy mummy confessions. Mm-hmm. So a sort of story of of parenting failure. Mm. Uh, oh, so many. Yeah, I mean, I think I might tell you what has happened just literally last night because uh, it's it's probably um, sums up what sort of a muddle I tend to get myself into. Because my three year old Jesse last night didn't want to go to sleep. He's normally pretty good at going to bed, but this time we've just having a bit of a mare and he had had a dream the night before that he'd been given some giant coloured eggs he didn't know it was a dream he was convinced that someone was about to give him giant eggs he started talking about breakfast yesterday and at night time it suddenly 
had a resurgence. I want my giant coloured eggs. <laughs> like there aren't any coming, but so we went on Amazon and obviously it's Easter coming up. So it's like let's have a look at maybe some Easter decorations of these little coloured eggs. I was like let's get those. We can decorate them ourselves. That'd be fun. But he wasn't really happy with that. He's like no, I want them now. I want them now. I want a basket. I want a basket to collect the eggs. So I remember, because we're quite a dysfunctional house, that we still had an Easter basket in the top bathroom waiting to go back in the attic, which obviously doesn't need to go back in the attic because Easter's like four weeks away. <laughs> so I just went and grabbed this basket and then found myself telling him that the Easter bunny was going to come in the night to fill it with some Easter goods. And then, in the, what I, I know, and then I found some like little coloured so chips and put them in there. Aww. But he was not happy with that this no. morning. I want the coloured eggs. And I was like, well, they're coming. We've ordered them. He said, and when I open them, there's Power Ranger toys in there. Well, then they're, <gasps> they're just little coloured eggs that we can decorate. So this is going to run and run. I'm stuck. I mean, I... <laughs> First of all, you've made your own bed. You, I know, I, I really you're not going to get a lot of sympathy out of me. I just wanted to go to bed, though. But listen, if, you, if, if you're in the business of, you know, literally making dreams come true, if you could deliver naked Jeff Goldblum to my room this evening, that would be okay. very nice. Okay. Thank okay. you. Yes, I'll, 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 I'll finish the rest of the dream myself. Uh, <laughs> then he can turn fine. into a Power Ranger. Yes. Uh, so my confession is, yeah, we went away for half term. We went to, I mean, this is not the confession. We went to French centre parks, which sounds like we're complete wankers. But um, it's actually cheaper. This is, this is my t- this is actual life hack. This is because mm. it's not French half term, right? right? So it's half yeah, the price of English centre parks. Uh, and you know, people say, "Oh, it's not like really being in France because it's centre parks." But you know, all the shops are closed half the day, and they've run out of bread by eight a.m. So really, it's, it's very exactly similar. Being in France, yes. it's Ooh, exactly la la. the same. Um, and we were in the big the, the subtropical swimming paradise or as it's called in France the Aqualagon <laughs> so we're in the Aqualagon and you know obviously you're there for hours and kids need to pee don't they now do you do you let the kids pee in the pool no. I pretend I don't know about it yeah I've done it. that I've done that but, ah, it's out of my hands but yeah I make an effort in front of other people yes, if, yes. maybe 50% of the time it depends what yeah what, what stage we're at with it if it's yeah. like if, they've, if they're telling me post event then it's just like yeah yeah I tend to I, if they ask if they say they need a wee I take them out of the pool mm. and take them to the loo mm. right Charlie said um, so he so says to me mum I need a wee I said alright come on then let's go to the toilet he said well, no, can't I just pee in the pool? Dad said I can just pee in the pool. Should I just pee in the pool? Like, incredibly loudly. Mm-hmm. And because lots of other English people had worked out that it's cheaper to go to French yes. centre parks, the play, it, was, it was full of English people. It was like a yeah. last hurrah before Brexit. They were looking at you to see what you do next. Yeah, and you and disgusting. And I just went, oh, just... <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> it's all warm. Yeah. We, we did that at the uh, Princess Diana Memorial, you know, uh, you know floaty thing oh, in Hyde yes. Park. And Matilda oh. did a shit and it floated down the ramp. Oh. <laughs> it's what she would have wanted. Oh, well, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> like probably... a candle in the wind, <laughs> like a shit on a lake. Yeah. <laughs> People thought it was probably an homage that time she went on the log flume with the boys in Thorpe Park. Do you know That's that photo? It. They just thought she was, it. it was Matilda's way of paying homage to that. That's yeah. right. She waved goodbye and off it went. Yeah, lovely Excellent. times. Yeah. Yes. I mean, what a way to end the show. Really. <laughs> Very highbrow and sophisticated, isn't it? So you knew album Sophie what's it called The Song Diaries and it's out March the 15th uh, where can people find your tour dates and all of that just type into Google <laughs> Sophie Ellis you do tour. the work don't even bother with Bexter because it's hard to spell <laughs> Sophie Ellis tour and you'll yeah. find me the London date's not until November but it's at the Palladium so it should be really <gasps> fun 
good reaction. Yes, very good reaction. the Palladium. Very very strong branch of Five Guys next door. Oh, yes, I know it actually. Yes, yes. Come and see me and go to Five Guys. There you go. Night out, sorted. Yeah, and yeah, if you want to give some money, like I'm going to, to the Bourne Charity, it's Bourne, B-O-R-N-E dot org dot UK, and they're at Bourne Charity on the social we are such good people. We are good, great humanitarians. <laughs> we are amazing. Great humanitarians. That's it. We do so much work with charity. It's oh, unbelievable. I know. Yeah. We live to give. Yeah. Uh, Sophie Ellis Bexter, you've been a fucking delight. Ah, thank you. You are a legend, you. Sophie Ellis Bexter. You are a legend. We will live in your house oh, really you. soon. I don't care what they say. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you waking up? Oh, the baby's awake. Quick. All oh, right, quick. Get, get out of the house. Thank Ellie. you so much for coming on the podcast. No, thanks mm. for having me. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time. Bye bye. Well, there we go. So, so um, yeah, do you know, I'm, I'm going to give them some money. Go on. I'm going to give the Bourne charity the money I that Sophie Ellis Bexter says I don't have to send on, spend on a therapist. That's oh, what that's I'm going to do. <laughs> Would you like to, me to tell you how much I've spent on therapy and then you give that amount? Oh, my God, yeah. How much is that? Oh, that's 18 months times £70. Oh, I'm not a millionaire. <laughs> Jesus. How much are you going to give them? Um, I'm trying to think. Probably, how much is therapy a go? Uh, about 60, 70 quid. It depending. depends, yeah. Depends. Could be 150. It can be, yeah. Yeah, um, probably 50 quid and a bottle of wine. Uh, no. Oh, <laughs> <get> a bottle of wine. So yes, if you'd like to give them some money, you can go to Bourne. That's B O R. Oh, crikey, that's them now. now. What do you mean fifty quid? Do you know that? Do you know how expensive this trial is? <laughs> She's left us to look after a baby. Look, she's very trusting. I know. We've only had two each. We don't really know what we're oh, doing. God, I want to sleep like he sleeps. No, isn't he? Sweet? No. They do say he's sleeping like a baby. You want to sleep like that. Like he's strumming a guitar. He's a natural. Oh, He'd <laughs> be a bass player like your daddy. Oh. Yes. Boom, boom, boom. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 